Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. There was a time when people thought Satan an evil force of darkness whose name shouldn't even be mentioned. But now Satan is becoming popularized on dozens of TV shows. They don't even try to hide the evil as they blatantly name the shows things like Hail Satan, Lucifer, and Evil. Evil has become so normalized that people have become desensitized to his actions and his activities. Make no mistake about it. Satan is the father of lies. He came to kill, steal, and destroy, as John 10.10 says, and we should have nothing to do with him because he's the antithesis of Jesus Christ. But Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, as Hal Lindsey wrote in 1972. I'm Debbie Blank, continuing our study in Revelation 9, where we'll see the most evil forces that will soon be unleashed on this world. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. The entertainment industry has woven occult themes into our culture for decades, and people have become more desensitized. As satanic groups felt more comfortable in the culture, they also became more public and began seeking recognition as a legitimate religion with First Amendment rights. Now they want the right to have satanic statues publicly displayed along such displays as the Ten Commandments. The Baphomet statue is an imposing 9-foot, 3,000-pound bronze figure of a winged goat seated on a throne with two young children looking up to the image from its base. They are seeking displays on public and governmental property. In Revelation chapter 9, the sounding of the fifth and sixth trumpets brings a shift in the judgments coming upon the earth as these next judgments take a definitely demonic turn. The people who have refused to repent of their demonic deeds and their demonic worship will face a judgment of demonic creatures from the bottomless pit. We're going to see that as we open Revelation 9 today. Let's go back for just a minute to Revelation 8, 13, the very last verse in Revelation 8, which told us this was going to happen when John wrote, And I looked and I heard an angel flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth! because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. Whoa, that's something that tells us there's going to be terrible destruction, distress, grief, sorrow on the earth. Well, hasn't there been with all of the sealed judgments that have been opened and the devastation, the people dying? Of course there have. So what's the difference? The difference now is satanic. The evil aspects of Satan poured out on this world that has been under his influence, but now he is completely trying to control. So from here on forth, as we open Revelation 9, we're going to see satanic, demonic involvement. Nothing like this world has ever experienced before. Now, I hate to talk about this stuff. I'd rather talk about God. I'd rather talk about the positives and the direction he leads us and what we can learn from the Bible. But Satan is part of the Bible. Genesis 3 is where he was introduced and how he manipulated man to sin at that point. So we know he permeates throughout all of Scripture. We can't ignore him just because we don't like him. I'd like to, but we can't. So today we're going to read about him. We're going to read about these 
demonic forces. This not fun topic. The most important thing, I think, in the overall scheme of things is to remember that God is way more powerful. We kind of invest Satan with powers that he really doesn't have. He's not omnipresent, he's not omniscient, and he's not omnipotent. So he has a lot of forces, he has a lot of power, he's scheming, he's deceptive, he has powers that are something that we shouldn't mess with without the power of God on our side, but we have the power of God on our side. And the other thing that's good news is he's about to be judged. And his minions are about to be judged. So we're into that period of time where those who have worshipped them are going to bear the brunt of the consequences of their worship of Satan and his demons. As we said, we know that he runs the world right now. First John five nineteen says, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Clearly, God is sovereign, but when sin entered the world, Satan became the one who had the power over this world. Remember what we hear from John in John chapter 8, verse 44, when it tells us about Satan. It reads, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Now think about it. He was the one through sin who initiated the murder of Abel by his brother Cain from the very beginning. It goes on in that passage to read, and who does not stand in the truth. That means God, being perfect, is the God of truth, but Satan's nothing but a liar, the opposite of truth in everything he does. Just as God is 100% perfect and true, Satan is 100% evil and a liar, a deceiver. The passage reads, because there is no truth in Satan. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. When we go against God and his word, we are falling into Satan's trap, and our world has already gone there. And there is spiritual warfare happening all the time that sometimes we don't see because we're blinded to the wiles of Satan. We're blinded to the direction that he's taking us. One of the most interesting passages in Scripture is in Daniel chapter 10. Because here we see the forces of darkness, which aren't just Satan, it's Satan's dominions, it's Satan's demons that he cast out of heaven with him. We know from Revelation 12, verses 4 and 9, that Satan swept a third of the angels with him when he sinned. So there's a lot of angels now who are demons who follow him. And those demons were trying to keep Daniel's prayer from being answered in Daniel 10. It tells us in Daniel 10, verse 12, when an angel is speaking to Daniel, he says, do not be afraid, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of our chief princes came to help me for I've been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to give you an understanding of what will happen to your people in the latter days. So we have a story here of how Daniel prayed, and yet the spiritual forces of evil and darkness were withstanding this angel, probably Gabriel, but this angel from answering the prayer that God sent him to answer to Daniel. He held him for three weeks because there's a battle going on in heaven. Michael, the archangel, had to come and battle with this angel and who knows who else in order to defeat those foes to be able to send God's message on to Daniel. 
there's a huge spiritual battle going on all around us. And keep in mind, this is Old Testament. We're living in the church age, but the demonic forces the world are going to see in the tribulation period are unlike anything we've ever experienced before. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we often talk about it as far as any kind of spiritual battle that we're having, that we need God to help us with temptations and so forth. But this is a different kind of thing that you talked about in Daniel. It's very specifically in the spiritual realm. However, it's real. It's really going on. It's really warfare, the way we would think of warfare, only spiritually. And Daniel describes that so well. So there's two types of spiritual warfare, but they're kind of connected, as we can see when we look into verses that kind of give us an idea of how we should conduct our spiritual warfare. It does. In one of those examples is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So that tells us right there, our weapons to fight this isn't fleshly, it's spiritual. It's the power of God that allows us to fight the evil forces. It goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 10.5, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we should do is take every thought captive to Christ, keep our minds and our hearts totally devoted to Christ. And then, only then, can we battle the spiritual forces. We're reminded in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. That's what our minds need to be dwelling on, because if not, the forces of the world will drag us right into the temptations through Hollywood, through the media, through politics, through pride, through sex, through all kinds of sins that are out there that will draw us to them if we don't keep our mind on Christ. And I think about the divisions in our country and in our families right now as well. That's demonically derived, I believe. It's to divide people and to get them to fight against each other. But the Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're wasting our time fighting against each other. We could be, like you said, in spiritual warfare, the way that you've described the scripture advises us to do, to include God and to know that we're fighting a completely different battle. We don't want to waste our time fighting a battle that isn't the real thing. That's not where the action is. We want instead to put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And we're told that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses basically 10 to 20. I'm just going to pick a few of these verses, but I encourage you to read them because it gives us what we need to fight the spiritual warfare that's going on today, let alone for those people who end up in the tribulation period. We're told in Ephesians 6, 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Was there anything in that passage about us? No, because we can't do anything to fight Satan. The only way we can fight him is through the strength of the Lord's might and putting on the armor of God standing firm against the evil one. Because we're reminded in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the battle in the heavenly places. We can only fight it heavenly, spiritually. 
which is why we're told in verse 13, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. And then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness and the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. Then the one offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Ending finally in verse 18 with prayers and petitions for all. So we have the opportunity to fight the spiritual battle, but it has to be spiritual. It has to be in the heavenly places because things are only going to get worse. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7, that passage tells us, you know what restrains him now so that in his time, he, the evil one's going to be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. So when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, Satan is going to be unleashed in his full glory. And we're going to see that as we get into Revelation 9. It's pretty unimaginable, but we're going to be given a window into what that might be like. When we think that anything that's good would be taken away from the earth and the devil could finally have full reign, he and his demons could have full reign. That's what we're going to be looking into. We are. So Revelation chapter 9, verse 1, starts out with this first woe we've been told about. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. Well, who's the star of heaven? According to Job 38, 7, the angels are considered the stars of heaven. But wait a minute. This one has fallen to the earth. What angel do we know that's fallen to the earth? Well, in order to understand that, we have to go to Isaiah 14, where it talks about Satan. Now, this whole passage from verses 12 on through 19 talk about Satan. But the first few verses are the only ones we want to focus on so that we can understand that that's who this is talking about here. It begins in verse 12 by saying, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. Right there, it tells us he's fallen from heaven. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high God. That is Satan's sin right there, wanting to be like God, the sin of pride. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol in the recesses of the pit. So we know that Satan is thrown down to the earth. And it's not just there. Another companion passage about Satan is Ezekiel 28, 11 through 17. Specifically, verse 16 says, By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So both of those passages, which talk about Satan and his sin and what happened with him, also talk about him being cast out of heaven or thrown down or falling to earth. Clearly, this passage is talking about Satan, this star from heaven being cast down. So we know that it's a person. It does say him. The, and the key to the bottomless pit was given to him. So we have Satan falling from heaven. He's being given a key to the bottomless pit. What's in the bottomless pit? We're going to be finding that out. Yes, the bottomless pit is one of two places mentioned in Scripture that is a hell for demons. 
Now there's the eternal hell, Gehenna, which everyone who does not believe in Jesus Christ will go to, men and angels. Because in Matthew 25, 41, we're told that the eternal hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. So we know that that's where they will go eventually. But the first place here is the abyss. It's called abusos in the Greek, and it means the bottomless pit. Whenever you see that passage listed as abyss or bottomless pit, it's talking about the same place. This is an abode of demons. How do we know that? Well, one place we can go to is Luke 8, 31. You may be familiar with the passage because it's talking about Jesus being in the land of the Gerasenes, which is over today in the Golan Heights. It's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which was the land of the Gentiles. It wasn't the land of the Jews. Well, he went over there, and when he did, he ran into a man who had a legion of demons in his body, in his spirit. And they were entreating Jesus not to command them to go into the abyss. They wanted to go somewhere else when he was casting them out, and he did cast them into pigs who ran down the hill and ran into the water. But they didn't even want to go into the abyss because the abyss is such an evil, horrible place. These are demons. They knew what it was like. They wanted to be out free to roam around in man. This is the abyss. Now, those who are in the abyss will be brought to judgment at the very end and be relegated to the eternal lake of fire. But for now, they have the place called Abusos, the bottomless pit. There's another place in scripture in 2 Peter 2, 4. It's called Tartarus in the Greek. That's another place for the demons. What that passage reads is, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, that's Tartarus, committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. So again, the demons were sent to this place called hell, which is Tartarus. It says here it's pits of darkness, and they're reserved there for judgment. It sounds like those demons are sent to this place, Tartarus, which is a permanent place until they go into eternal hell. They won't be getting out of there. The abyss, they can come and go as God would lead, but here they can't in Tartarus. So two different places, both called hell in scripture, both of which will eventually go into eternal hell, but they are only places for demon, not mankind. So when this bottomless pit is opened, the gateway to the demons is opened. What happens first, it says that when he opens the bottomless pit, smoke comes up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. So that's a, a preview of nasty things to come. When everything is darkened and smoke comes out, that's very foreboding. So we know what comes next is not good. Yeah, they can almost feel and see the evil because of all the smoke that's coming up. Revelation 9.3 goes on to say, And out of the smoke came forth locusts upon the earth, and power was given to them, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Okay, are these real locusts? Well, we don't know. John's describing what looks to him as locusts. Locusts, we know, bring huge destruction on the earth. These have power. That means they have authority, according to the Greek word here. They have jurisdiction. They have strength. And it's given to them. So they don't normally have it, but God has given it to them to do the destruction that they're going to do. And it says here they're as scorpions, not scorpions, but they're as scorpions. And now, according to what I've read, only 25 of the 1,500 known species 
of the scorpions have the ability to kill people. The rest of them sting with a painful sting that is non-life-threatening, but still painful. So these locusts have that kind of power. Verse 4 says, And they were told that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. Hmm. What did locusts do? They eat green grass. They eat trees. And yet here, their purpose is totally different than that. They're told not to do that, but instead they're clearly going to hurt mankind, except those who've been saved, those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. So we have locusts that don't act like locusts because they sting and they normally devour plants and, and so forth. And now they're to torment and to torture men on the earth. So the other supernatural thing about them is that they know that they are not to harm men with the seal of God on their foreheads. A normal locust wouldn't be able to do that. It says in verse 5 then, they were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months. Five months, by the way, is the life of a locust. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and not find it. And they will long to die and death flees from them. So these funny-looking locusts are going to bite or sting, but men are not going to be able to die. They're going to be in such huge torment. I can't imagine what that would be like. Verse 7 goes on to describe them. It says, The appearance of the locusts was like, a simile there, horses prepared for battle, and on their heads, as it were, crowns. Those are Stephanos crowns, like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. And they had hair like the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And their sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. And they have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tail is the power to hurt men for five months. We reiterate that. These are really weird looking creatures. Are they real creatures? Are they something else? We don't know. I can tell you that a 13-year-old Mexican boy found this weird-looking creature by the side of the road several years ago. It was given to a well-known journalist, and he has put a picture on the website called Watchers 10 on their YouTube channel. And this creature looks exactly like what we're told in Revelation. The only problem is the experts say the creature doesn't have any resemblance to any animal that we know scientifically right now, and the DNA doesn't match any known animal on Earth. So could this be a precursor to what's going to be seen, or is this something different? We don't know. What we do know is these locust-looking animals are going to come up in the earth and sting and torture unsaved people for five months. Verse 11 ends this by saying, They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. We know that's Satan. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction. And in the Greek, he has a name, Apollyon, which means the destroyer. Good synonyms for Satan. So while we experience evil in this world today, it's going to permeate the world like we've never seen before. But remember, Jesus Christ is our Lord. He is our victor over Satan, over evil. He fights for us if we will turn to him. We can't serve two masters. We've got to choose. Are we going to turn to God and let him fight our battles? Are we going to follow Satan? And we can say, well, I don't follow Satan. But if we're not following the true God, the one King of kings and Lord of lords, we are automatically following the God of this world. We must choose today. If we don't, we could find ourselves walking through the tribulation and experiencing what we've just read, which is consummate evil. 
Wow, Debbie, I just think about this torment for five months and think that this is something that men would rather die. They're seeking death and they can't escape. It's a judgment that's torment that they cannot escape. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it. We do know that there's supernatural protection for those who have the seal of God. So that's really good news to know that God is protecting people even during that time, those who have come to him and turned to him. But what about these others that suffer this judgment? Revelation 9, 12 kind of ends this passage by saying, the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Remember, we talked at the beginning that these woes are the beginning of destructive demonic forces coming on this world in a way that we've never seen before. And these woes, again, are sorrowful, distress, grief, calamity, also warnings about what's going to happen so that people can turn their hearts away from Satan and turn them to God. Some people say it'll be too late once people get into the tribulation, that they will not have the opportunity to turn to God. With all that's going on, I would hope they would. And we talked last week about how God is going to share the gospel and God is going to send his 144,000 witnesses to share the gospel so people can come to know Jesus during this time. But those who don't are going to experience this satanic evil. That's why we need to turn to God today. Everyone needs to put their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who saved us from our sins, who died on the cross and then rose again from the dead so that we too might be resurrected in the future to have eternity with him. But it's our choice and we have to make it. We can choose Jesus, the victor over evil, the one that wins in the end, the one that defeats Satan, who will reign forever instead of the God of this earth. Remember, Jesus is the one who fights for us. He can help us work our way through all the battles on earth, and he can help us draw us to himself. A few examples in scripture. When Moses was getting ready to cross the Red Sea in Exodus fourteen fourteen, he was reminded and reminded the people, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. We're also told in 1 Samuel 17, 47, the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's. And then one of my favorites is Zechariah 4, 6 said, it is not by power, by strength, but by my spirit declares the Lord. When we turn to God, let him fight our battles. Let his spirit guide our spirit. Then we'll be drawn to him. We'll turn to him. We will give our lives to him and we will not go through what we're seeing here. But it's a decision that we have to make. That's why Joel says in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, return to me with all your heart, the Lord says, and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. What an encouragement of God drawing us to himself. And when we do, he gives us a blessing. And that blessing is eternal life with him. But we have a responsibility, as we just read, to repent, to turn our hearts, to surrender our lives to Jesus. If we do that, we have hope, we have salvation, we have a victor who fights for us. If we don't, we'll be going through these things that we've just read. 
I don't want to do that. And I hope you, our listeners, don't want to do that either. Remember, you cannot serve two masters, according to Matthew 6.24. We must choose the master we're going to follow. I agree with Joshua in Joshua 24.15 when he says, Choose today whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.